Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. It's 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. For those of you in other time zones. We're um, still, we're in the last few chapters of Heart of the Revolution book I've been going through since the, I guess since the new year for the last couple months. Um, the chapter that we are on tonight, our topic is uh, appreciation, appreciative joy and gratitude and thankfulness and and the quality that the Buddha talked about, he said, when I freed myself from clinging and aversion and self-centeredness, there was this um, quality of empathy that was what remained. And so there's often this question of like, well, who would I be without my craving and aversion? And you would be empathetic. <laughs> um, but this empathy that next week we'll talk about that is balanced by equanimity. And empathy or sympathy, uh, which is directed both towards pain and pleasure. And when you are empathetic towards pain, we call it compassion. We call it, you know, you know having a, a sympathetic caring and compassion towards pain. But tonight we're talking about that heart quality, enlightened, awakened heart quality, that is um, what happens when we empathize with other people's happiness. And when we appreciate joy, when we, th that quality of the heart, and, and maybe it's simple to think about like the opposite, like you all know what it feels like to be jealous when someone else is happy, successful, you know, whatever, uh, better looking than you, whatever it is, and you feel envious and you feel jealous. And so this is like, you know, which is suffering. Jealousy is suffering. <laughs> Envy is suffering. That self-centered suffering of comparing and judging and craving, coveting. So the Buddha said, when I woke up, that was completely gone. And what remained was appreciative joy, sympathetic, a feeling of, I'm fucking happy for how rich, young, and good-looking you are. <laughs> I'm stoked for you. I, you know, I, I take pleasure in the happiness of others. Welcome. Um, so we all have that to look forward to rather than that quality of mind that gets in the way that suffers at other people's happiness, the quality of mind that appreciates, that empathizes, and that takes pleasure in, takes joy in other people's joy, other people's happiness, success. So I'm going to talk about that tonight, as well as not just other people, um, but learn, you know, the, the gratitude for our own happiness, pleasure, success, well-being, uh, even just incarnation, just the gratitude for having this, what in Buddhism is referred to as a precious human rebirth. Just like that we're actually incredibly fortunate just to, just to be born in a human realm 
rather than a hell realm or a ghost realm or a even heaven realms, totally overrated human realm. This is the place to be. You got the invitation to the main event <laughs> to this human incarnation where we can wake up, we can attain enlightenment, we can get free because we have this brain that has the capacity for mindfulness to see the causes of suffering and to overcome the causes of suffering, to end them through our own efforts. And so just being human and coming in contact with the Dharma is this huge blessing in, in, you know, in Buddhism. Uh, doesn't feel that way a lot of the time, right? And like being human sucks. <laughs> all of, there's all of this suffering. There's all of this, I have to live with this mind that compares and judges and craves and it's hard to be human. But there's this beautiful reframe that the Buddhists that we do, which is like, actually, this is an awesome opportunity that you won't get if you're reborn as a dog. Now, I know that's highly contested. My girlfriend would say, no way. They have a way better incarnation than we do. You know? But actually, dogs can't really practice mindfulness, can't really practice appreciative joy. They just want to, you know eat, fuck, kill, <laughs> you know, that animal instinct um, that we are able to with our human big brains, neocortex, that we're able to actually practice renunciation. We're actually able to uh, make some choices in a way that uh, other living beings don't have as much free will, as much choice as human beings at least potentially do. As we all know, most human beings are living more in an animal realm than an actual human realm. Um, but we have the potential as human beings. And uh, what a thing to just be grateful for. Like, oh, I have this opportunity. And especially because we have all come into contact with the Dharma. We've got the instructions. We've got the manual. Here's the path to freedom. You all have it already, even if it's your first time tonight. Maybe some people are just tuning in, just here for the first time, probably. Still, like you, mindfulness is the solution. <laughs> Appreciation is the solution. Compassion. And these techniques that Buddhism offers us gives us the tools to get free if we're willing to seriously put some effort into to training the mind, to applying them. Appreciation and gratitude is not something, um, you know, it's not the fucking Instagram meme that is just this, you know, platitude, be grateful. It's a practice. And, you know, and I love the, the Buddha gives us these practices. Here's how to train your mind to be in gratitude, to be in appreciation, to see through the mind's tendency to crave and compare and judge and be envious or jealous or, and to actually train the mind to be appreciative. And so that's what we're going to do uh, in the meditation and what we're going to talk about in the Dharma talk tonight. But I wanted to say some of that as a setup. Uh, in this chapter in the book, there's, some guided, there's a guided meditation on appreciative joy starting with saying to yourself, may I learn to appreciate the happiness and joy 
I experience without clinging to it. And this is the key to true appreciation. True appreciation has no attachment attached to it. True appreciation is non-attached, uh, understanding that this joy is impermanent. This bliss state, this uh, pleasant, you know, whatever it is, is going to arise and pass. Don't get attached to it. Be grateful for the impermanent uh, nature of that pleasant experience that we're having and allow it to arise and allow it to pass. May the joy I experience continue and grow. Now that might be a little questionable. Like it's a little, is there a little craving in that? May it continue, may it grow. The Buddhist answer is you want to cherish these wholesome mind states. When there's joy, when there's gratitude, when there's a wholesome form of happiness present, you want it to continue. You want it to sustain. Uh, when the, one of the things the Buddha talks about, he says, when wise mind states like appreciation, like joy have arisen, sustain that, reflect on it. Don't quickly push it away. But, you know, and so there's that sustaining the, in, while still understanding it's impermanent. So you can't keep it, but you can enjoy it as it passes by as it passes through us. May I be filled with gratitude. And so I'll do some of these. I'm gonna freestyle the meditation, but some of the traditional phrases. May I learn to appreciate the happiness and joy I experience without clinging to it. May, I, may the joy I experience continue and grow. May I be filled with gratitude. And then when we start to focus on others and think about uh, empathizing and sympathizing and connecting with other people's joys. We say to them, may your happiness and joy increase. May the joy in your life continue and grow. And may you be successful and met with appreciation. And so developing, training the heart, training the mind to look at other people with appreciation. May you be successful. May it continue. May it grow rather than the competitive feeling that many of us get into, you know, that gives birth to envy, that gives birth to covetousness and, and jealousy. And traditionally, not only would we say this, like it's easy, people that you love. You want the people that you love to be happy, right? And you say, hey, may you be filled with joy. It's easy to say to your kids, to your lover, to your friend. But the really, you know, hard part of, of what the Dharma asks us is develop this for everyone, including your enemies. Like if you want to really, I mean, not to get too political, but if you want to really like push your practice, appreciative joy for Trump. <laughs> May your happiness continue and grow. May you be filled with joy to whomever, you know, whoever your Hitler is, whoever your, you know, the, the, your biggest enemy is. And seeing, oh, when I put even the most insane people that are causing harm out of my heart, it closes down my ability to be free. And the Buddhist teaching, which is, let's get so free, even our enemies are met with compassion. 
with forgiveness, with appreciation. Always balanced with the equanimity understanding that Trump is fully responsible for all of his own actions. Trump, Biden, whoever, like, I, I don't know why I'm talking about politics, but uh, every living being is karmically responsible for their actions. So our wishes are saying like, I want you to be happy. I want you to have joy. Isn't gonna really affect them, but it's gonna free us from that hatred. It's gonna free us from the suffering of keeping them in this enemy category and in this resentment place in our mind. So all of it ultimately is to free us. So, you know, like you're here to get free, right? You're on the cushion to get free, to get all the way free. That's an extreme example. You don't need to start with Trump or Biden or whomever you are currently hating. Um, you can start with the annoying people in your life. <laughs> you can start with the difficult people uh, in traffic. You can start with the, you know, whomever. But ultimately the Buddha's invitation is get so free that you have love and kindness, appreciation and compassion for everyone. It's a tall order. I'm 30 years plus into trying it. I certainly have not been successful, <laughs> not fully successful, but have seen a lot of shifts, a lot of progress from doing these kind of meditations. So welcome to Monday Night Against the Stream, and I invite you to join me in some meditations and reflections on gratitude and appreciation, both for ourselves and others. So uh, find a way to sit upright, relaxed. Settling into present time awareness of your own body, sitting, breathing. Begin reflecting on your own life and all of the things that bring you joy, that you enjoy. Reflect on the music that you appreciate, the art, the places that inspire you, the locations the ocean, the mountains, the deserts.
What are you grateful for? Who are the people that you appreciate that you feel grateful towards? What are the experiences that you've had that you remember fondly, that you appreciate? Really turning your mind, intentionally reflecting on all of the joys, the good shit. What are the practices that you appreciate? The meditation instructions? Gratitude for the Dharma itself? For the people who have shared the Dharma with us? The books? the teachers, trying to touch into that appreciation, that gratitude for yourself, for the effort. Whether it's on the Buddhist path, the recovery path, your yoga practice, your prayer, whatever it is that has been helpful. the actions that you have taken that have been helpful, sitting with your therapist. The effort to forgive yourself and others, just meeting yourself for the hard work of healing that you've done so far in this life. Appreciating this body, this physical form, 
This body subject to aging, illness, impermanence. Sending some gratitude, some appreciation to our bodies for carrying us around, allowing us to be as mobile as we've been able to be so far. Appreciate your mind for its ability to think and plan, remember, be creative. The wise aspects, the useful aspects of having a brain. When your mind wanders off into perhaps some negative, some pain, some fear, redirect it back. Even if it's not totally sincere, you're not totally feeling it, just that internal thank you as much as you can in this moment. We begin to extend our appreciation from ourselves out to others. Start with the people in the Sangha, the people here practicing together, whether in the room or at home on Zoom. Just as I wish to be happy and experience joy, I wish for your happiness and joy. May you be successful. Successful in your healing and your awakening. May you be successful in your life, whatever endeavors, career choices. 
may you experience joy and may it sustain and increase. So we train the mind by saying these phrases over and over, creating neuropathways of appreciation towards each other. expand to beyond the community, the Sangha, the other important people in your life. Your friends, your family, loved ones, wishing for their happiness, for their success. Breathing in the happiness that they do experience, breathing out appreciation towards those who you love, who you care about.
May your happiness and joy continue and increase. May you have success. May you be met with appreciation. Your short form is simply wishing over and over in your own heart and mind for the happiness of others. True happiness, which is perhaps more like contentment, ease, well-being in the midst of all of the joys and sorrows of existence. And now expanding to the difficult people, choose someone who you've put out of your heart, who you resent, who you have been judging. And wish for their happiness. So counter instinctual, so against the stream to have any empathy for our enemies. This is where the Dharma becomes not comforting, but disturbing, disturbing our suffering. Developing the antidote to suffering, which is appreciation, compassion. May you be happy, may you experience joy. May you be successful. May you be met with appreciation.
And finally, expanding outward in all directions from ourselves and our friends and family, the difficult people in our lives, difficult people in this world. Think about the whole world. Almost 8 billion human beings, the countless animals of the sea, of the sky, of the earth. Chinese Buddhists say life on this planet, life in this human realm is 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. So turn your attention towards the 10,000 joys. All of the happiness, the laughter, the love, the acts of generosity, of kindness. And if you'd like to spend a few minutes practicing with the breath, breathing in the joy, and perhaps just saying joy, even if it's not so clear what it is, breathing in joy, breathing out appreciation, the joy that does exist, the happiness that is being experienced, breathe it into your heart center. And as you exhale, gratitude, appreciation, thankfulness.
coming back to just ourselves this lifetime releasing any tension in the belly the chest the shoulders shifting your posture if you like to and again turning towards yourself with gratitude towards this body this heart mind towards your own efforts just this meditation practice just sitting here for the last half hour trying meet yourself with some appreciation walking this path practicing these techniques that lead to freedom So we'll have some time for some dialogue, some Q&A and such. Um, but let me share a few more thoughts first. Um, since I first heard it, I've always liked this perspective, Chinese Buddhist saying, 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows. Um, and if you think of like the, the yin yang, you know, the dark and the, the light, the uh, with the little, you know, the circle with the little dots in the, in the middle. And it's a symbol of that. And, you know, so actually it might be a bit more of a Taoist um, saying or symbol. There's a lot of Taoist influence in Chinese Buddhism. Um, but I just, I just, I've always liked this acknowledgement that there's a shitload of suffering, 10,000 sorrows. And we can get really focused on the 10,000 sorrows, right? And most of us are <laughs> pretty focused on what's wrong. But there's also 10,000 joys. There's also all of this goodness and pleasure and joy and wholesome happiness, you know, healthy sources of, of joy. Um, and this encouragement to... Don't forget to practice joy. Don't just always practice compassion. Also practice developing gratitude, appreciation, the PMA, right? PMA, positive mental attitude, um, is a practice. It's not just, there's always, there's, I feel like there's so much of this delusion going around as though you can just choose. Like you could just choose to be compassionate all of the time. No fucking way. Without training your mind, 
You can't choose to be compassionate all of the time. It's a practice. Likewise, with gratitude, with appreciation, with staying you know, positive and focused on what's right, you have to practice that shit. You have to train your mind. We're born into these minds, bodies, that are not naturally grateful and appreciative and, you know, they're self-centered and fear-based. And so to really develop a positive mental appreciation, gratitude, we have to meditate our way there. We have to train our minds. Now, I said earlier that uh, it does seem like the Buddha's experience He said, I did all of this mindfulness. I turned towards my own experience with present time awareness. And when I did that, I saw that everything's impermanent. Everything, internally, externally, everything's impermanent. And when I saw that, I I realized that my attachments to the impermanent pleasures caused me suffering rather than enjoying pleasure. I turned the 10,000 joys over into the sorrow category. You seen that in your life when you something good is happening, something pleasant, you're really enjoying something and then you cling to it and you try to take it hostage and you try to keep it. And it's like, no motherfucker, I'm impermanent. <laughs> you don't get to keep me. And then we suffer about it and we turn something that was good into sorrow. And so to practice um, appreciation is to remember that appreciation has to be non-attached. Non-attached appreciation is our practice, is our goal. Uh, In in this chapter in the book, I I say, I remind everybody, um, the only wise relationship to pain is compassion. You get that, right? There's no other wise relationship other than compassion when it comes to pain. Hey, you hate it, you suffer, you know, it makes it worse. You develop empathy, mercy, compassion, then it's just pain. It's not such a huge problem anymore because you learn to care about it. Now, this is easier said than done. When it comes to appreciation, when it comes to pleasure, the 10,000 joys of our life, potentially, the only wise and appropriate relationship to pleasure is non-attached appreciation. And reflect on that, you know, and reflect on, does that make sense to you? Does that seem right? Is there ever a appropriate time to get attached? to really cling to something. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like it. I know my mind is often being like, but this time you should really get attached. This seems like a loophole. This one seems like. And there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of confusion when we talk about non-attachment as though it means detachment. It doesn't mean avoid pleasure. It doesn't mean Disen, you know, uh, detachment doesn't, is it, uh, non-attachment isn't this sort of detachment. Non-attachment means be connected with the joy, with the pleasure, with the good shit you experience. 
be totally present for it and and uh, almost I want to say embrace. Maybe embrace is a little clingy, <laughs> but I want to say like like touch it, feel it. Non, you know, I'm using my hands as the kind of as this is non-attachment when you're connected. I'm not attached. Neither hand is attached to each other, but they are feeling. They are connected, fully present for rather than clinging, right? Rather than fucking holding on. And so we hear non-attachment and then, and sometimes we hear detachment and we think, oh, we gotta separate, avoid, suppress, ignore, but always trying to come back to non-attached appreciation. Mindfulness is the key. Mindfulness, present time awareness, seeing the impermanent nature of all things helps us become more present with the arising and passing of pleasure, arising and passing of pain. I was going off a little bit and I, I like this perspective I don't think I had ever thought about it before I studied Buddhism around um, the preciousness, the appreciation for just the opportunity that we have here as human beings. Tibetan Buddhists are, are quite big on talking about the precious human incarnation, this, this rebirth, you know, in that bigger scale of, you know, reincarnation, Buddhist cycle of, of existence, of saying like right now, we are all in this precious incarnation where we've taken birth and we've come into contact with transformative spiritual teachings. You've learned mindfulness. You're learning compassion. You're learning forgiveness. You, you are not only a human with a mind and a body that has the capacity to awaken. You actually have the instructions. We have the, uh, we have like here, we have the manual. Remember what your life was like before you had the manual? I remember how fucking miserable I was when I didn't know what was causing all of my suffering. I didn't know that there was anything that I could do about it. And then the Dharma comes into our lives in this, like it's, uh, I, you know, like when I started thinking about appreciation, I appreciate lots of material and sensual experiences. I'll admit it. <laughs> I like to indulge in all kinds of fun activities. But none of those have any level of, uh, I don't appreciate any of the fun stuff that I like to do, the motorcycles, the surfing, skateboarding, you know, any of that shit that I like to do, sex, Sex is amazing, but I don't appreciate it as much as I appreciate the Dharma. Because the Dharma, I, I know that like sex, relationships, toys, none of that stuff will ever give me the kind of happiness that I want to have. It's just, you know, uh, the Buddha said dead end. And I believe that. De you know, if you're looking for your happiness in the world, you're looking for your happiness down a dead end. <laughs> It's not, a, it's not an ongoing path. If you're looking for your happiness and sense pleasures, it's a dead end. He said, I teach this middle path between the dead end of worldliness and the dead end of blind faith and religion, this path that leads 
to appreciative heart, a compassionate heart, a, a wise heart. And I just feel so fucking grateful, uh, so much appreciation for the practice, even though the practice, and when I say the practice, I mean meditation, I mean the five precepts, I mean the eightfold path, you know, like the, the, what we call the Dharma, Buddhism. Because having applied it, I see the source of joy, the source of happiness, the ability to be more compassionate, less suffering. At one point, the Buddha says there's four types of happiness. There's the type of happiness, and you know, when you think about what you appreciate and you reflect what you're stoked on in your life, he says, the, the, there's one kind of happiness, which is the happiness of material things. And so you can reflect, what's all your stuff that you like? You like your stuff, you can admit it. I like my shoes, I like my clothes, I like my record collection, I like my you know, electronics. Really excited about my skis, my snowboard, my motorcycle, my whatever it is that you like. You like your stuff. And he says, there's a relative type of happiness in our material stuff. I was a little surprised when I heard he said that, because I'm always kind of thinking like, ooh, you know, the Buddha's a renunciate and a monastic, and he gave all his shit up. But he said, no, of course there's some happiness in material things. But it's a relative. It's sort of a low form of, of happiness, material things. It's a dead end as a source of true freedom, but we enjoy it. If we can relate to our stuff, with non-attached appreciation, then it's your stuff and you enjoy, enjoy it while it lasts. I know I need to come up with a new story about this. I've been telling this story for about almost 20 years now, but I, I took my, I had a low rider, a 64 Impala, and I took it to New York City when I moved to New York in 2004. And I painted it and I, you know, put the airbags and, you know, it was like California lowrider in New York City in Manhattan. And, and at one point, my mechanic was working on my airbags and driving it and um, dropped it on one of those big metal plates. And it had like a skid bar and it tore my frame in half, just like totaled my lowrider. And I was uh, at the tattoo shop that I hung out at. I'm always hanging around tattoo shops. I don't know. I was at the tattoo shop that my friend Lori owns, New York Adorned, and I was talking to somebody, uh, one of the women who tattoos there. I was telling her, yeah, like my car is totaled and, and they're trying to say that they're not gonna repair it and that I better call my insurance. <laughs> and I was telling her kind of like I'm telling you, maybe a little more distraught. <laughs> um, and she said to me, this woman said, you know, I know that you're a meditation teacher and, you know, but I see you hanging out here flirting with everybody. And, you know, you're just like all of the other tattooed thugs around here, as far as I was concerned, until you're telling me this story. She's like, and now that you're telling me this story about how your prized possession got destroyed and you don't seem to be suffering that much about it. Like, now I know that you actually meditate. <laughs> Now I know that Buddhism isn't just, you know, a shtick for you, that something has happened in you 
Because if that happened to me, she's like, I don't meditate. I'm pissed off all the time. And if that happened to me, I would want to murder people. And you don't seem to be that upset about it. And I tell this story because it's totally true. At that point, 20 years or you know, 15 years of meditation and non, you know, trying to train my mind to be not so attached to my stuff. I enjoy stuff. I, I purchase it. I, I like it but to not be so attached to it. I think, you know, um, anyways, I I feel like that's uh, Ajahn Chah, my teacher's teacher, uh, was uh, one time criticized about, um, you know, the monks have nothing, but he had a special glass. This is a terrible example. He had this special glass and that it was like his glass. And one time somebody criticized him and they say, you're teaching us non-attachment, non-attachment, non-attachment. But here you are obviously attached to your glass. You don't let anybody else use it. You're kind of like, you have a relationship with your goblet. And Ajahn Chah said, he said, you're right. This glass, he's like, this glass brings me so much joy. He's like, I like to look at the way the sunlight hits it and like little rainbows, <laughs> like subtle monastic joy. He's like, I like it the way that it holds my beverage. I like the weight of it in my hand. He's like, I, I dig this glass. You're right. I am, I'm, you know, but I am not attached to this glass because I know that it's impermanent. I know that eventually it'll be being washed and it'll be broken uh, somebody's, you know, elbow will knock it off of the shelf. Um, I enjoy every moment with this material thing. And I know that its nature is that it's already broken, right? The lowrider's already broken. The motorcycle's already broken. Your surfboard's already dinged. <laughs> Your skis are already scratched. Your new Nikes are already scuffed. And when we can see that and, and appreciate what we have as impermanent, then you know you get that relative level of, yeah, I appreciate this and I don't suffer so much about it when it breaks down, when it is impermanent. So when we're talking about joy and appreciate, appreciate your material stuff, but don't cling to it. Non-attached appreciation. He said the second level of happiness is sense pleasures. And again, there's so like these human bodies, this nervous system, the 10,000 joys that your body, the adrenaline, the, you know, the, the hormones of love and connection and, you know, endorphins, a good workout, a good meal, a good, so much fun to be experienced. So many sense pleasures that these bodies provide us but every single one of them is impermanent. So of course we have to relate to the sense pleasures as impermanent to remember that and not get too attached or addicted, right? How many of us are in recovery because we got a little too fond (laughs) of the sense pleasures, right? Like you think sex is good, try heroin. That's amazing, (laughs) right? Like. Don't try heroin if you haven't tried it yet. Um, 
but you know what I mean? Like there's just like so much uh, wonderful sensations and experiences all impermanent. And so it's this kind of, it's, it's a type of happiness, temporary. When you're having pleasure, it's temporarily like this is great, but it's gonna pass. And if we get too attached to trying to have pleasure all of the time, we, you know, end up strung out, end up miserable. So finding about, you know, and of course the Buddha's teaching around all intoxicants is avoid them, dead end. And enjoy the sense pleasures that are healthy, that are natural, that your body itself, that life itself provides. You know, Buddhism is an abstinence-based tradition, uh, which is easy for those of us who are in recovery and are like, cool, I need to be abstinent. It's a different story for the people who come and say, hey, I want to learn mindfulness. I want to learn appreciative joy. Wait a minute, the Buddha said we shouldn't drink? Ever? Yep, that's what he said. He said, if you want to get really free, if you want to experience the joy that is available in life, don't cloud your mind with intoxicants. It gets in the way. It, it puts you to sleep. If you really want to be awake, don't put yourself to sleep. The other two types of happiness, he said, is... Um, the happiness, the joy that we get from being free from debt, debtlessness. Thinking about that for a moment and your mortgage <laughs> and your student loans and your credit card bills and your car payment and your, he was actually, you know, he was actually talking about finances on some level. He's saying, you know, when you're indebted, there's just that kind of stress. Conscious or unconscious, there's that subtle, like, oof, got to pay the bills again every month, over and over. Got to keep paying these fucking bills. He said, there's a real joy in being free from debt. And I'm not sure if he meant also emotional debt, but I'm going to assign that because I've seen that in my, in my own life. I've had experiences of being free from financial debt and enjoyed that. Um, but even higher feels like, this might be my kind of recovery, but free from owing amends, free from wreckage of our past, free from, uh, you know, the experience of really forgiving, free from resentment, and free from, uh, you know, owing, uh, asking for forgiveness to everyone that we've caused harm to, and that humility that just acknowledges uh, in most relationships, you're going to probably have to ask for some forgiveness. <laughs> you're going to probably have to ask for some amends at some point or another, because we're not going to be perfectly skillful all of the time. So the happiness of debtlessness. And he said the highest form of joy is the joy that we experience, the happiness that we experience when we behave in a way that is blameless. Blameless in the eyes of the wise. Blameless means integrity. Blameless means living a life that is nonviolent, that is honest, that is kind, that is generous, that is 
has integrity. We're not lying and stealing and cheating. We're not intentionally causing harm to any living beings. And I say blameless in the eyes of the wise because the Buddha also told us that no matter how much integrity you have, you're still subject to praise and blame. And that, uh, you know, the Buddha was an enlightened being. I, you know, I believe this. He was a fully awakened person. But he was constantly criticized and blamed and falsely accused of a whole bunch of shit. And there was suicide. There was um, not suicide, homicide. There was, uh, you know, murder plots against him and attacks. And, you know, and he was like, wait a minute. Like, I ain't hurting nobody. But he was public enemy number one because he was teaching a very radical path that was against the sexist, racist, and religious norms of his time. And so the religious power structure people wanted him gone. And then people within his own community wanted the power. His own uh, cousin, Devadatta, tried to assassinate him more than once because he was like, I want to be the fucking Buddha. <laughs> Why is my cousin getting all the glory over here just because he's enlightened? Like, I want the power. So it's important that even if we're striving for full integrity and blamelessness to also accept that you're still going to be criticized. You're still going to be judged. You're still going to be attacked at times. That's unavoidable. Even if you become a Buddha, <laughs> they'll probably put you in a fucking asylum. <laughs> Right? That's what we do. These people go around being like, I'm enlightened. They're like, lock that guy up. He <laughs> <laughs> fucking lost it. Lost the plot. There's a section of the book that I um, was looking at earlier where I talk a whole bunch of shit about Buddhism and I like it. Human rebirth is precious, but it's not only being born human that is the trick. It's also being born into a realm where we have the chance to encounter the true Dharma. It may be presumptuous for me to say so, but I'll say it anyways. If you're reading this book, you're having such an incarnation. Whatever the circumstances of your life have been so far, it is clear that you have now encountered the Dharma. The experience of hearing the truth about life is rare. Thus, you are having an incredible rare incarnation. I'm in no way saying that I am the creator of this truth. I can take responsibility only for being a messenger. I'm just representing the rebel saint, Siddhartha, Sid, the Buddha. The point of our endeavor is to truly appreciate this life to truly appreciate the Dharma, to not waste any more time chasing delusions. Having taken birth as a human and additionally having come into contact with the Dharma is fortunate, but it isn't enough. And most people stop there or they get a taste of truth and vow to awaken and free themselves from delusion only to shift into becoming one of the deluded Buddhist masses mistaking buying merit 
or worshiping deities or teachers for the path. Please take these words to heart. If you appreciate the Buddha's teaching, do not get too lost in the religion of Buddhism. Just do what the Buddha encouraged. There is so much goodness in every Buddhist tradition, but there is also so much that has nothing to do with the Buddha's message of liberation through personal effort. The more I understand about the Buddha and his teachings, the less I can accept the ways that some Buddhism is taught today. A lot of what is being taught by some schools of Buddhism is in direct contradiction to the Buddha's message. Some may say that I risk becoming a fundamentalist. Well, yes, I would be happy in this context to stick with the fundamentals of liberation. Not out of superiority or competition, but out of concern for all of the people who are sincerely seeking truth and are being misguided by so-called Buddhists. So as well as the rest of, by, by so-called Buddhists, as well as by the rest of the religions in the world. Okay, let me step down off my soapbox for a minute. Where was I? Oh yeah, the incredible life we are living and appreciating the opportunity that we have to train our heart, our mind to experience true happiness, real freedom from suffering. We don't know how long this life will last. Impermanence teaches us that nothing is certain or reliable, including these physical bodies of ours. The meditative reflections on death are part of the Buddhist mindfulness practice and the precious human rebirth are all in service of getting us motivated and grateful for the opportunity right in front of us. So I wanna open up to questions, dialogue, conversation, um, so much to appreciate about yourself, but also remember this empathy that if we can really develop uh, an empathetic appreciation, a sympathetic appreciation for the happiness that other people experience, just you know, look around, uh, you know, the 60 people on Zoom, the 10 people in the room, right here, there's you know, 70 people that you could like uh, get like a, a joy hit from, you know? <laughs> like it's like, um, what's it called when people are like smoking weed around you and you get that like, um, yeah, like contact joy. It's part of what the Buddha is talking about. If you, if we can break our self-centeredness and oh, you know, just always worrying about I, me, mine, and start looking into others, there's so many opportunities for like, wow, I can have some of your happiness, and I can appreciate your happiness, and I can appreciate yours and yours, and all of that. Like we get to experience the ten thousand joys when we get out of our jealous, envy, self-centered mentality. So I'll leave it there. And what do, your, what do you think? Does it make sense? If you have questions at home, please raise your hand and I'll call on you. If you have questions here, please raise your hand or comments. Hi, I'm Ashley. Can you hear me? Yeah. Who is it, Audrey? 
Ashley. Okay. Yeah. Ashley, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I've been studying the Meta Sutra. Yes. And it, it's funny that you should say what you did tonight because something that's really helped me has been, and I wrote it down, is um, we have to accept that at times we will be judged and reproved by people's ignorance rather than enlightened wisdom. And there will always be praise and blame. And that's, that's actually really helped me because then it kind of makes it like, oh, it's not such a surprise anymore. You know, <laughs> um, I've dealt with some self-esteem issues and um, every morning I get up and um, I imagine the freedom that comes from living in a way that is blameless in the eyes of the wise. And I think about that and I think, you know, the only thing that matters is that I live honestly and I live true to myself. And um, when I start to feel like, like things are closing in on me, I just use that, this picture of our meditation of, you know, may we love those that are, you know, north and south and east and west. And then just my heart just opens up that tiny little groove I'm stuck in. So, um, so for me, that's been really empowering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, this teaching, this appreciation teaching is a companion to the loving kindness. As you know, it's part of the Brahma Viharas. There's loving kindness, appreciation, compassion, and equanimity. And so this is such an important piece to throw in um, to that wishing in all directions, you know, for the end of suffering, for the increasing of joy. This trains the heart. I love that because it has given me a self-esteem that is just, it's it's a real self-esteem and it's not based on those things that we like to have as permanent. Absolutely. Thank you, and, Ashley. I need to move on to the next question, but thank you for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, who was first? Uh, you want to, I'm going to take a question in the room and then I'll come back to the, please. Ryan. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I was thinking about... Um, I feel like when I'm in a moment of appreciation, like the second that I realize, like, I feel like, it may, well, maybe it's aversion or something. I'm just like trying to recognize, appreciate it, appreciate it, don't attach. I get like this mind fuck going on and it almost takes me out of the appreciation. I don't know what that's about or, but like knowing that it's impermanent, but like the second that I like, oh yeah, if this is impermanent, it's like, it just, I don't know. I mean, that's what I was trying to do. He was talking about like the awareness of appreciation sometimes is like, oh, I better not cling to it. Uh, the awareness of the impermanence when we're, and that's what like our goal is to like, can I just hang out with this and just feel it as it arise? You know, the Buddha always uses this, this image of arising and passing, you know, it's coming through and especially with emotions, like emotions are in motion, like even, even love is this experience that comes through. 
right? You, it doesn't stay, right? It, it comes in waves. It comes, it's, it's in motion. Um, and so that's where we're trying to just like stay in that place of a connection with it. And it's hard to do. And I don't know how long you've been practicing now, but the longer you practice, the more you'll get kind of grounded in, ooh, here it comes, there it goes. Here it comes, there it goes. Whether it's pain or pleasure, whether it's joy or sorrow. Um, and it takes, it's, yeah, it's a, you know, it's, the reason I call our center against the stream, as you know, probably is that, you know, the Buddha was like, this shit is counter to our instincts. To really be non-attached, like we are attached, like attachment, aversion, you know, is how we're instinctually wired. So to relax into allowing the arising and passing nature of joy takes some time, some serious mind, heart training. But just seeing that and not judging it and just being like, okay, I'm not that good at it yet. Uh, you know, I'm trying. Not that good at it yet. Let me see what happens if I keep doing this for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I love to quote the Dalai Lama who said, commit to your practice, you know, this appreciative joy. Commit to it. Do it every day for the next decade and see where you're at in 10 years. See how much better you're at at non-attached appreciation after you've been reflecting on and practicing and developing this skill for the next 10 years you'll notice an improvement. <laughs> um, Audrey, I think you were first. Hi. Um, well, I had questions about the idea of non-attachment with regards to relationships. Um, for example, like with a child, I mean, then I guess this is a different thing the idea of attachment theory and psychology, which is a good thing where you're like the mother or the parent is attached to the child and that gives the child a stable psychological base in which to grow and live that. And then the other idea of like you were saying that the Dharma is better than anything, including sex, but then, and I can see like, if you're just thinking like random sex and for fun or whatever, but if that's part of a relationship, then that seems like, that could be part of the path of the Dharma. And so I'm like looking at how relationships could be part of that path in simultaneously attached or non-attached ways. And what that means looking at it, or am I just looking at it in too Western of a way? Um, could everybody hear, hear that well enough? Yeah. Um, I think that, it's unfortunate that it's the same term for um, the psychological, uh, you know, attachment theory. I think it's unfortunate that that's the that they use the term attachment. Um, if I could go back and talk to Mary Mann and <laughs> those folks, I'd encourage them to call it connection theory. That you know, what children need is a secure connection with their caregivers. Um, and it's just semantics, really, you know, um, but, you know, like, uh, it's interesting that they didn't call it clinging theory. <laughs> and, you know, children need to be have a secure clinging to their parents or clinging, you know, we need to. Um, so I'm using sort of clinging and attachment as synonymous, um, but that connection 
is different. And, you know, like when you're parenting and when you're in relationships, um, connection is the goal. Be totally connected to your children, present, aware, attentive, you know, so that they know that you're right. That's what we're talking about in secure attachment. Are you aware that, you know, there's a presence here that you're cared for, that you're witnessed? Are you, do you feel connected? And likewise, in romantic relationships, connection, right? Not clinging, not attachment, right? Clinging and attachment, which is like kind of trying to control each other. Even with our kids, like, you know, you don't need to cling and try to control your children, but you want them to know that you're connected, you're present, and there's some boundaries and there's some consequences and all of that stuff of parenting. Um, so I hope that that helps as a distinction that the goal is connection. That, that comment about, you know, my flippant comment about, you know, uh, the Dharma better than sex. Um, I think that what you're saying is totally true. If, if you're really practicing the Dharma, sex is part of your Dharma practice. It's not separate from it. It's not like I have a Dharma practice and then I have sex. If you're really bringing mindful and you're bringing mindful into all of your activities, all of your, then you're bringing mindfulness to intimacy, to sensuality, to sexuality. It's part of your practice. It's, you know, it's included in, and actually it'll make sex way better than it has ever been before when you bring full, connected, present awareness to intimacy. Um, so I hope that that, that makes sense. David, I think you're next. Hey, thank you so much for the, uh, the words tonight. Me and my girlfriend of, of a year decided to take a break. And, and now that we actually did it, my mind has been racing and I've been having like anxiety and today's class was like, what I needed to hear and it's been a struggle <clears throat> and I, I I feel like I need to reach out but I know that we need to give space for it to even work but I want I feel like I'm losing her it's the weirdest mind fuck and it's what are the practices that you can do to like let your anxiety just calm down and just like be able to live your life Right. Um, nothing works, David. <laughs> when your mind is spinning, your mind is spinning. And I'm half joking. Um, but you're not going to be able to get rid of those thoughts and feelings. And so maybe it's more about deep, deeply breathing into them and accepting like, okay, I'm in this kind of fear and craving and anxiety, and can I make room for it? Can I accept it? Rather than trying to push it away or meditate it away, or that's what I mean by like, nothing's gonna get rid of it. When there's some heartbreak and some fear and some, you just have to let, you know, the good news is it's impermanent. It's gonna arise and pass, and then it's repetitive. So it's gonna re-arise and repass, and then it's gonna keep coming back over and over. I'm deep breaths, curious. right? Yeah, deep yeah. abdominal breaths, you know, to make sure that it's not shallow, anxious breathing, that kind of stuff. Saying these phrases, even if you don't mean it, I wish you happiness. I wish you freedom. Doing the sort of loving kindness uh, appreciation. All of that stuff will help a little bit, but there's, but nothing's going to, um, 
just get rid of that. Like, Hey, I'm in this like anxious place around this relationship and there's craving and there's fear and, but naming it, Oh, craving feels like this. And And it feels like this in my, yeah, go ahead. The the more you want to fix it, the more it kind of like gets farther and farther away from you. Or gets bigger. Well, it it pushes her away. Yeah. The more I want to fix it. Right. You know, and it's like, it's like now I'm kind of learning like, okay, I need to just give it space. And so just, you know, which means being with yourself. And that's what you're doing. You're showing up, you're being with yourself, giving her some space. It's that um, kind of thing I was saying around like attachment parenting of, of saying like, I'm here, right? You don't want to cling, but you want to say, I'm here and I'm open to the connection. I'm here for my children, for my partner, for my, but I'm not all up in your business all of the time. It's okay for there to be some separateness within this presence, within this connection. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Good to see you. Please. Yep. Yeah, just this talk was really good today. It's really This is like I was over a while. I've been doing a meditation for about three years. Guess it's changed for like two years. And what like what I first noticed was kind of like um, it was like it had such a, a strong impact on me immediately. And I was like just want to leave. Just want to leave this life and go like uh, And then I'm like, all right, well, I still want my life here and everything. Um, but basically, to make a long story short, is like I just keep getting walls, keep getting walls, and and I am such a control freak, and I'm such OCD, and dads and drugs and alcohol. And Painting apps and and uh, it just seems like every time I hit this dead end, it's like this seems to work. Like it's mindfulness, meditation, and it's like it's like this calling, almost like 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 I've been chasing the wrong things for so long, and uh, and it's just becoming more and more clear that it's like this life that I thought that I wanted, I'm like unlearning what I thought I wanted or what society had told me that would make me happy. And then doing this, it's like, I get such a sense of peace. And even like a couple of weeks ago, I just hit another wall at work. And I work in healthcare, so it's super stressful. And I'm like, you know, what, what, what do I even want you know, in this life? And, and I keep coming back to mindfulness and it, it's just so freaking helpful. And it's just like, I can really see myself doing this, you know, for the rest of my life. I love the teachings and, and it just, you know, it just resonates with me. So, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's just this weird journey that keeps like, I'm like trying to figure out that middle path, but, but it's like really helpful. So I just want to say that. Totally, you know, totally appropriate, right? It's the whole topic of like appreciation and, you know, I'm, I'm with you. And you know what what they what he was expressing is just gratitude for the Dharma of like and, and just the levels of gratitude for it. And um, especially when 
you hit the wall and difficult things happen. And you're like, well, at least I have solution. At least I have something that works. Um, and I'm, I'm with you. Like, and I hope that it, it sustains for you. I hope that you, you know, uh, are a lifer and that you keep practicing. Uh, even if you do at some point get a little disillusioned and, you know, <laughs> which will likely happen, you know, like it's sometimes we're super excited about practice and Dharma and recovery. And, and so other times we're just like, oh yeah, another fucking Dharma talk, but you know, just like keep coming, you know, keep, <laughs> keep showing up for it. All right. I think I lost my last question, but it's time. Thanks everybody for being here. Um, practice gratitude, practice appreciation. And um, class is done. Uh, if you appreciate against the stream, please leave a donation. Uh, if you're here in person, there's a bowl there for donations. If you're at home, there's a link in the chat for donations. We do ask for a $15 donation for the drop-in class. If you um, can't afford that, please do give that. If you um, can't afford that, give whatever feels appropriate to your financial means and, and where you're at and what you can give. Um, it is how we keep the lights on around here. And I've been saying for a while now, the landlord had given us a break for most of COVID and has re-raised the uh, rent up to full price again. So if you can help us pay the rent, it'd be gratefully appreciated. Um, I'm planning a day-long meditation retreat in May. We haven't promoted it yet, but I'll do it both in person and uh, online. Uh, I'll tell you the date, even though we and we'll, and we'll promote it soon. But the date is May Saturday, May 22nd. Um, so save the date if you want to come to Venice and meditate with us. We'll do sitting and walking practice, um, or if you want to join from Zoom. I'll figure out how to do that as well, where we'll do both uh, in person and online. So day long in May. It doesn't look like our Memorial Day residential retreat's gonna happen this year. Um, we do have a fall retreat scheduled. So hopefully we'll get to do a residential retreat in the fall, just waiting for the restrictions to ease a bit so that we can get together and go on a silent retreat. Sometime this year, I think it'll happen. All right, good enough. Many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be offered outward in all directions shared with all living beings. May each one of us come to awakening and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.